0: Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Mergey, and this is Not That Kind of Rabbi. I don't remember what number or episode this one is, but we've done a few. We've done it. We're getting close to 60, I think. Uh, And that's a good thing. I'm very happy to do this. I love exploring the spiritual life with different people. And the way we, as uh, Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, one of my teachers always said, you're always trying to figure out how somebody gets it on with God. So really, that's Kind of what we're doing. And by that, that word, God, I've, always, I've wanted to write a book called God is a Four-Letter Word. Because if you want to buzzkill at a dinner party, just say God. And all of a sudden, I've had all kinds of reactions. My favorite reaction was from Richard Dawkins, who is an avowed atheist and uh, gained a lot of notoriety and popularity in, I think it would be the late 90s, early 2000s for some of his writings, him and Hitchens and a few others. Uh, And I was invited by the Toronto publisher of his book as he was on a book tour, uh, to a dinner uh, that a bunch of us could go to. And I thought, well, sure, that's cool. And I ended up sitting beside him. And um, I don't know how we got there, but his question to me was, you actually believe these fairy tales? And I said, you know, I I, I felt insulted just as a person, not because I'm the holder of some great truth. And I said, um, well, you can see them as fairy tales. I tend to see a lot of the scriptures as metaphorical, internal and, and inner journeys. So, you know, for the example I would give would be Try to get yule brainer out of your head while I say this, but um, Pharaoh in the Exodus story um, is the tyrant who will not set them free. He hardens his heart over and over again. To me, Pharaoh is not the historical figure of Ramses II, it is the internal tyrant, the one that doesn't want us to be free. And the other interesting part is when the Israelites, i.e. you or me, are freed, we're really bad at it, like really bad at it. <laughs> we want to go back to slavery as quickly as we possibly can. Give me structure, right? At least I get three a day. So I tried to kind of explain a little bit of this to him. And he just looked at me like I was just poor, like he had pity. I could feel the pity in his eyes as he looked at me, of you poor, innocent soul, your naive soul. I don't even think he'd the word soul. Um, but what I felt at that moment was, you know, everything can be a dogma, everything can be ideological, and including, I do work as a spiritual director. And if people want that kind of counseling, they come to me and usually through my, uh, my Gmail account, my Raufbendmergate Gmail, and I get different clients. But sometimes you, I get a client, not that often, but every once in a while, I get one who insists to tell me at the very beginning, look, I don't believe in God. Okay. Like, look, like, like, we have to start there. And what in the spiritual counseling world, the answer is, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Yeah. Right. So we end up with a God who usually is a white guy with a beard older than me, but not by much on a really nice chair who has a naughty and nice list. That's Santa Claus. So God, for for some people, a book I would suggest to some people uh, as an interesting uh, exploration of this through Jewish mysticism is God is a Verb by Rabbi David Cooper. It's a really interesting read because it's, let's get out of this idea that God is a noun, a person, a thing that you can, you know, go and give a hug to. I tend to think of it cosmologically. Matthew Fox does a lot of writing on creation spirituality. And if you think about the idea, for instance, that there are 9 billion trillion stars estimated in the universe, then you can let go of this idea that there's this guy who's really worried about how you're doing today uh, and sort of go back into what we refer to in Hebrew as yura or awe. And without awe, which is often written as fear in the scriptures, the fear of God, which does not mean you're afraid. It means you have the sense to know that you're just a small molecule in the body of creation, and you should know your place. There's humility in that. Quickest example of that is here in Hamilton, where I live, there are about 17 different waterfalls that you can walk to on trails. Every summer, there are a few people, God love them, who decide they're better than the waterfall. So they stand at the very lip of it with the water rushing over to get a nice picture from their friends. And then they slip, and then they fall 15 feet. And uh, you know some of them get very badly injured, but it's because they don't have an appropriate amount of fear. You don't stand on a rock 57 yards out into the ocean with the waves coming in to say, take a picture. The ocean will kill you. So know your place, know your humility, but also know that sometimes your humility should lead you to to take a leadership position, to to be proactive. It's not about, oh, humble little me, don't mind me. It's knowing the appropriate place to put yourself in those things. So those are some thoughts that come to me, uh, mostly through my clients, by the way, who inspire me all the time with the things they say and make me have to think about these things as well. So today I want to talk to somebody, the Reverend Peter Woods, who uh, is a member of the United Church of Canada, a saxophonist or a saxophonist, you can pick which one you want to say there, uh, who has found a way to lead a congregation, play his music, and find the embodiment of spiritual life in that. And I wanted to explore that. So uh, Reverend Woods, thank you for being here. How are you doing?
1: I'm well. Thanks a lot, Ralph, for having me today.
0: No problem, a mutual friend of ours said, you gotta talk to this guy. I said, why? And he said, because he knows how to put music into spirit and spirit into music. So give me a bit of a journey. How did you find yourself with a horn in your hand in one hand and a Bible
1: in the other? (laughs) Um, Thanks, yeah. um, Well, I've been doing that, I think, I guess, I've been 32 years in ordained ministry in the United Church of Canada, served um, three different congregations around Canada, rural New Brunswick on the Bay of Fundy, um, small town Ontario, and currently I'm at uh, Mackay United Church here in Ottawa. Um, I'm actually right across from the Governor General's residence, and uh, today, uh, the big, big news, of course, across the country is the announcement of the new Governor General, so. Uh, she's actually, I guess, going to be a neighbor, uh, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, I've, I've played music my whole life, started out in stage band and Nepean High School in Ottawa years ago. And, uh, and I think right from the beginning, I, or right from the beginning of my musical journey, I, I sort of, I, I just knew that, um, music was the language that actually spoke to my, my spirituality, whatever that felt like it was at, at uh, 13 or, or 11. Uh, it, but right from really early, I just, I, I didn't even understand what, what I was hearing or, or knowing or being led into, but it's, I've always, the, the metaphors around music or conversations around music or certainly the performance of music has always been the place where, where I've, I've sensed spirit uh, connectiveness. Also some of what you said earlier, like the breakdown of language. I think there's, it's really important for me to break down language, um, and, uh, and understand that my language, my dogma doesn't get the job done. It doesn't, it doesn't serve my own sense of identity as a spiritual person. Um, my, more about the, it. the, uh, well, just uh, like the, the creeds. Uh, I mean, uh, the hymns we sing when you were talking earlier really about language, I think about these, these really problematic lyrics in, uh, you know, Jesus keep me near the cross uh, that are, are, are harsh often or, or, or can be read to be harsh. Um, and the music does another thing um, in a nonverbal realm. And uh, and as a word guy, as a guy who sort of wrestles back and forth between word and sound, I find myself dismissing certain certain conventions or truths or orthodoxies in, in my own faith. Um, uh, and, uh, and sometimes with good reason, I think, you know, the, the, the sort of some of the sort of nonsense that Christian orthodoxy has, has, has promoted or, um, or just sort of rested in for centuries. Um, so I, I mean, I think standing and, and saying, uh, putting a big question mark beside some of it is really important But often there's this other thread that has been going through the whole thing, um, this uh, spiritual uh, 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 spirit filled um, thread of of energy, uh, beauty of awe and and the delivery system of Orthodox Christianity and and perhaps other Orthodox uh, Orthodox um, uh, faith traditions. I've, I've sometimes limited the, that wild spirit, and uh, and somehow getting a saxophone going um, at a jam session or in church with an organ, or or it's just pl- playing, has always been my way of of kind of fostering or keeping that that other energy going in in my own uh, life. I'm sorry, you, know,
0: when you were saying that just now. I was thinking jazz is interesting for the way you're thinking because you you don't just start improvising. You don't just start with, you have to have your structure. You have to have your basics and your fundamentals and there are rules to music,
1: right? Amen. Yep, yeah, and and getting to know those rules is such an endless and wonderful journey. Yeah. Like, like to be, I, I've i been mentored uh, by so many, both elders and younger fo- folks along the way to just work on that craft. And I mean, I love that craft and I, I love realizing how little I know when I think I know. I mean, you, you learn a 12 bar blues at one level and then you learn it in, at another level and, and it just never, something as defined as that just becomes a world of endless mystery, which I mean, not hard to make a leap from there to, uh, to uh, uh, a preaching you know, moment. Um, yeah, or, there, or there, pre- are,
0: there are scriptures but then there has to be a certain moment of interpretation. You know, um, I'm sure Jaco Pistorius, the legendary jazz bass player, um, did the 12 bar blues. But when you hear him on a five string bass, you know, with a flange, just making these sounds that are just otherworldly, then he has transcended the craft and created spirit,
1: right? Yeah, yes. And and I think that that was that was there right. I think that's been there throughout the entire history of jazz. obviously, it's been with so many of those heavy players. But just that that idea of improv improvising on something familiar, right away, you're 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 on holy ground. Uh, you're on uh, you're you're, you're he- I'm hearing something I know. Uh, you know, um, like the blues, um, and then I'm just hearing wisdom and and uh and history and and, and prophecy uh, i i i i'm a uh, well I, I got lots of deep dives on on characters but charles lloyd is one of my the people i keep going back to in, in the last 20 years or so uh, and just because he's so articulate about that about about going back to folk songs and and simple structures and letting those simple structures just expand out into uh, out into um, I mean, he would, he's uh, very hip spiritually. So, I mean, he would talk about about them becoming prayers uh, and becoming even healing energies uh, through performance. You know, I was just thinking,
0: uh, some original jazz for me would be the Gregorian chant. Right? <laughs> I always thought, man, these guys, like they have this whole monastic life. And in Judaism, there is no monastic life, but this whole monastic life. And then they stand there, And within a three to four note range, they go for two hours. Yeah. And I just think that's embodied spirituality. That's not in the head. You know, what does the scripture mean? Forget it. Just start this
1: singing. And that's what the scripture means, right? And, and sometimes, yeah, I think, absolutely. And sometimes just the little phrases that are lifted up from scripture. Um, like what? You know, the, uh, uh, Jesus wept. You, know, if, now, if you What just... do you
0: hear when you hear Jesus wept? Because it's, 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 it's also a, a, a mild kind of curse, you know, in Newfoundland. Oh, Jesus right. wept. Yeah, right,
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I've never really understood, like, I've never gotten to sink into it. What does it mean to you?
1: I, 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 um, empathy, I think. Uh, identification. Just the the the, uh, the line between whatever whatever makes that character in 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 uh, the Gospels important, um, but but the line is is blurred. The 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 I'm I'm empathizing. Jesus is empathizing with with Lazarus in that moment, but empathizing with the moment, entering into, and in, entering into the, emb- the embodied moment with his tears, and being very uh, uh, extraordinarily present. Um, I think that's that's. Uh, yeah, that's how, that's where I get. That's how I where I get to.
0: So, when you're doing a sermon, is it a tougher road to hoe than to bring out the horn and just start playing?
1: Yeah, um, I I've found over the years I've tried to practice that. What I've learned on the horn um, in my preparation for sermons. And and that's been a that's been tough because um, it's it there's there's such a, a legacy around sermons where that's that guy up there or over there saying these words that are somehow important and and true in that moment for at least for him or her, them. um. But for us to 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 when I play jazz, I'm so aware of the tradition. I'm so aware of being mentored and uh, and being almost disciplined. Um, disciplined by the craft. And, uh, and I, I, I yearn for that in my, in my preaching and my homiletics. And I, I, it's been harder to cultivate that for me. Uh, I've I've learned, I, I think my, my, my speaking in church uh, is very much. uh, I mean, I will take a very simple uh, story from, from Hebrew or Christian scriptures and, and, try to stay with that story for a little while and, and see where the resonance in that story is for, for me and for the community in this moment. And that's, sometimes that's about all I do. That's, that's the sermon is, right. is just sort of pointing out the resonance uh, of the, that story. Um, it, uh, I mean, sometimes I, I guess I'm, I'm a little self-critical after all these years. I, it feels like it's not enough sometimes but I think it, it when I step back from it, I know that that's actually congruent with with uh, with most of what I know about how how faith and and intellect and and this moment in in a post kind of post Christian or post Christendom era uh, uh, that's that's as good as it is, is going to get. Is well, just, you know,
0: uh, Judaism is is having a, a, an issue itself with. What, what's a post-rational Judaism because Judaism went through a, a, a real last few hundred years of rational Judaism. And there's an interesting way to see it, um, a very simplified version of, of what Kabbalah can talk about, the Jewish mysticism, is that there are four worlds we live in, all of us. And the first is the body, the second is the heart, the third is the, the mind, and the fourth is the spirit. And all of us tend to inhabit some of these places more than others, right? So when the clergy gets up and parses the words of scripture, you know, so in the Jewish tradition, they'll say, well, the three letter root of the Hebrew word for rock is water and the water, and There are people who are very interested in this during the service, but there are other people who are yearning for a holy listening, a heart-to-heart kind of interchange. And I wonder if it's music that's missing at that moment in time, because we sing together. And yet, if I interrupted anyone in the middle of of a a Jewish prayer, the vast majority of them might say, what are you actually saying right now, do you know? As Mm -hmm. As if you were doing a Latin prayer. And they say, uh, "No, well, why are you doing it? Because we're singing together. It's like scat, right? Right? It, it's just we're singing. Uh, you can call it gibberish, whatever you want, but we're singing a sacred language together. And I, I always lamented the Christians' loss of the idea, loss of the idea of Latin as as the lingua franca of church, right? Right." In the United Church, you know, I used to, uh, 40 years ago, I was doing stand-up comedy, and I'd occasionally look into the audience, and I'd say, um, how were you brought up? And it, somebody would say, United. And I'd go, oh, nothing. <laughs> and everyone would laugh. Right. And then i said, "No, I, no offense, it's just, you know, the guitar comes out, and it's the whole thing. Uh, and the, what I really meant was, you're of the dominant culture, so you can afford to say nothing. Yep. You can say, right? In Israel, if you're Jewish, you don't, you don't have to work at it. It's everywhere. It's all around. Right. In Canada, if you're Christian, you don't have to work at it. So, exactly. how, so how do you engage? How do you, <clears throat> in what you're calling a post-Christian world, how how do you send your message into the heart of another person? Um,
1: what, your comments... Um, Sparked a couple of thoughts about about decentering, one of the big words these days. Uh, but is is just the ways in which we are uh, have been decentered in a in a wonderful way. I mean, I, I'm I'm thrilled to be doing what I'm doing in this moment um, as a as a clergy person, um, and I'm I'm really uh, so pleased to have this sort of jazz, all these jazz metaphors and practices in the back of my head when I come to this moment, because especially as a white male clergy person in the dominant culture Protestantism like there's there's so many ways that you're just you know it, it's it's so boring frankly apart from being not very uh you know not not very hard to be prophetic that's for sure um one of my formative one of my former experiences was uh, uh back in the early 1980s I found myself uh, working in El Salvador and uh, uh worked in the uh through a Friend of a friend, ended up working in uh, it, it, as a translator for the Mothers of, of the Disappeared. Um, and they, at that point, were uh, an incredible force. And in, this was in the 80, 84, so the war was hot. Um, Romero has only been dead a few years. And, and the Mothers of the Disappeared were were doing this piece of work where they would bring foreign groups, uh, mostly Christians, a lot of European Christian uh, groups and they would uh, they would tell their story and part of their story involved. Um, well, and I would be translating. I would, I was the person in the room. Anyways, I was translating, which was a, I was 21 years old, 21 year old Canadian guy. And I was in this wonderful, like incredible gift, incredibly powerful gift. I mean, cause these women, women were, were, were prophets and, and their message was to tell the story of how their their child, a kid, had gone missing. And sometimes they found the body, and often never found the body. And they would tell the story, and they would hold up a picture of their child now now gone, disappeared. And then they would tell the story of what happened to them in their protests, and that usually meant at some point actually disrobing and showing where the where they've been wounded in uh, uh, in, in torture, um, and. I mean, so I, I, tra- I was translating this, and and I, I to my mind, I, I don't think I've ever like that's remained as the paradigm for how I understand my vocation. I think I, I was I wasn't I, I just finished my undergrad at that point. I hadn't, hadn't ex- been involved in ministry at all, but uh, somehow uh, to be in that space and to, for whatever reason to be given the 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 task of trust in that case to tell the, to to translate the story in that moment. I mean, and, and not feeling like I was, looking back, there was, you know, I was way beyond, I was way out of my depth. Um, But it was a wonderful, like crystal clear moment of you, you translate the, you you pay attention to the reality in which you are uh, finding yourself and, and somehow translate that reality into, into words or, so you, yes.
0: become, you become for uh, los madres de los You become the conduit. You become, yeah. and for a congregation, I guess it's interesting because uh, from what I understand in palliative care, Christians uh, as as the patient do better than Jews because in the simplest terms, there's a middleman. You can talk to Jesus, right? And you've always grown up with these iconic images of Jesus and Mary. And, but in Judaism, there's, it's unknowable. Like it is, mm. oh, God is a complete unknowable. So how do you talk to the unknowable? Is harder than Jesus, I'm coming. Right. Right. So there's a lot of power in that. And to hear... The, the story and, in essence, I guess, from these women to prayer for their lost child, for their lost soul, and then to actually be the person who says, this is what they're telling you. This is how they're. T- this is what their experience is, and having no choice but to feel it at that point. Right. That's very powerful. It's very powerful. But now, when you get up in front of a group, there is. I just worked with a group of Presbyterian ministers and to facilitate a conversation about post-COVID. What do we do with this place, which was already in trouble, where attendance was down, where monies are not coming in? Uh, is there such a thing as a post-congregational or a post-institutional spirituality? And if so, where does the clergy fit into that? And I'm sure you've had lots of conversations about that, but with your saxophone in hand, what? How do you respond to that kind of a situation?
1: Play more. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, we haven't figured that out. Uh, we're looking at a reopening re- reopening strategies and having all those conversations um, with my saxophone. Um, uh, I think well, we've, we've known for a while, but actually being online for worship and for we, we do a, a Sunday morning uh, event online and we do a weekly music and meditation, which is kind of part of my project around jazz and spirituality. And um, one of the things we've come to, been able to do, partly because we have a sound technician in the room. Uh, I mean, if I'm live in a, in a church and start talking and somebody starts playing music, it's like... hey, hey, wait a second, you're too loud, or I can't, I can't hear myself think, or, you know, it's, there's, there's problems, because, you know, we're just a, uh, you know, nothing too fancy in terms of sound in the, in the building, but online, we've, we've really worked at this craft, and one of the outcomes has been, we can do a, a thing with, with music, and even, even saxophone, and boost the voice, and, and have a prayer time, and have a, have all sorts of music padding, the, the, uh, the, the worship service in a, in a sort of new level, newly integrated way. And it, it's, it, it's always been there. I mean, lots of churches, uh, you know, famously the African-American churches have been, have been doing this forever. Um, I went to Al Green's church in Memphis years ago and, and uh, man, he, he, his organist was running that service, just playing <laughs> all the hits uh, through the service, but. And yeah, all I'm me behind, in the B3 and B3. Oh yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, it's uh, we're, we're, we were, We sort of stumbled into this recently and realized, man, people are just. We had our big annual meeting and a lot of talk about budget and a lot of talk about the future. And at the end, uh, it was all on Zoom. And at the end, I, uh, the, the pianist here uh, and myself, just had a little quiet time and, uh, and offered a, a bit of a litany of concerns and in a prayerful kind of way but the piano was playing the whole time and, Mm. and people, we got so much love and and feedback from doing it in that format. And all those elements have always been there. Uh, We've just integrated them. So I I think there's, I mean, that's, uh, things like that will happen more and more. Our music and meditation event here at Mackay church was, you know, in, in, uh, in, in Ottawa was, was getting, you know, a uh, bunch of people walking in to listen, listen and meditate, and maybe do yoga uh, during our 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 offerings on Tuesday evenings live. Now that we're doing it lo- uh, online, and we'll continue to do it online whenever we open doors. Um, you know, uh, our last bunch of uh, offerings there was. There's a church in Edmonton that uses it as a as a community building part of their week is mm-hmm. to go to our. Thing and, and have, a, I, think, I think sometimes they just have happy hour, um, but they, they hang out with our, this thing that we're doing live in Ottawa. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about ways that we are a, on the edge of, of, of stuff we've, we've kind of dreamt of for some time, uh, some flexibility, some getting out of the box. I mean, I, I've, I think most of us clergy and, and having a saxophone and going off, I play gigs all over town, and then I come back to church and I love church, but it's sometimes it's felt like two, two, uh, two separate worlds a little bit and, uh, and much less so now.
0: So, so that's one of the blessings of all this, right? Yeah. Innovation comes with.
1: Uh... Congreg- congregations, I think, are seeing that they're by their, their potential right now. Uh, I, I could never I don't think I would have ever been able to convince this congregation to go online. I, I wasn't even convinced uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. merits of it, frankly. Well I hear um,
0: that from clergy and some of them are like, you know what? I really like it this way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a blast. It's, you know, it's uh, you know, gonna show up physically and nobody has to you know come and leave and I don't I can still be wearing
1: shorts and nobody will know you know they <laughs> kind of liked it. Well, and we, we took. I mean, I like watched you over the years in various incarnations in, in your career, and I I realized like we're 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 uh, sneaking into other people's turf a little bit here. Yeah, uh, right my lawn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's um, interesting because there's there there's um, the other side of that, the prosperity theology folks like Joel Osteen. Uh, I went and did some um, a weekend. I stayed at at the, his megachurch in Houston. Uh, doing uh, some documentary work. And man, that band was seriously tight. I mean, these were some of the best session players in Houston. And they just sounded great. And he had over five services, or I think it was five services from Friday night until Sunday afternoon. 35,000 people in total, right? right? And, you know, the music was intoxicating and the the interesting part was the choir which was a hundred voice choir was all of all community members was not a professional choir they had come oh, together cool. you know, as a community so that was a very nice piece but I realized that you know production value is going to be an issue when it comes to these things but when you think about it anyone who thinks that church or temples of any kind are not theater is nuts they're all theater i mean there's even an argument to say you know that god is saying get out of those little buildings where you think i live Mm -hmm. I live i live everywhere i don't live in some nice building with stained glass i live everywhere and perhaps we've tried to sort of put it push everybody into the building beautiful part is congregation is people coming together in a physical sense, which we've all almost forgotten about. But I do find it interesting that production value is being reinvented. Because if you go into a Catholic church or a Tibetan monastery, the theater is thick. It's sure. profound. A Hindu, a Hindu temple, the theater is, is profound. In Judaism, there's a desire for the least amount of glamour in a, in a synagogue sanctuary as possible, because iconography is not well thought of, right? Right. So another part I want to talk about is who in the jazz world do you find has the spiritual content that makes you a happy player? Like what, what artists do you, because for some people it's, you know, a Love Supreme and John Coltrane, and for others it's more sublime. Where do you, where do you fit in the spectrum of what speaks to you in, your, in service of your clergy positioning?
1: I um, I probably have uh, two tracks that I'm I'm often on. One is that sort of ECM uh, track of um, spacey um, Nordic uh, um, Tord Gustavsson and some of those contemporary uh, uh, Jacob Bro on guitar. some, Some of some of those EST guys are just just doing right. EST. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, some of that stuff is just that, that's just so, so obviously um, that has that austerity. I mean, maybe it comes a little bit out of that Protestant culture in a way. So maybe, maybe I'm recognizing something. Uh, the in spite of my, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing ostentatious, just, yeah, just yeah. minimal here. Um, no dancing. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. But, uh, but like uh, certainly, uh, certainly some of that stuff is, is, when we do music meditation we're we're thinking about uh, about about that sort of sound uh, I, I work with a tabla player a lot to try, try and get ourselves out of uh, some some of the conventional uh, sounds bo- both church church sounds and jazz sounds and, and just try to get some tabla rhythms going over some old hymns and explore them in new ways and and often and that's thinking lovely. about tabla yeah.
0: is, to me is is liquid drumming
1: absolutely right.
0: yeah I play hand drums and I, the idea of learning how to play tabla it's like I, 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 it would take me five years to just oh. all my nonsense just to even begin.
1: Right. the table player here is like you know every so often I ask him a question about what's going on here and he's like well this is going to 13 and this other thing is going to seven and I'll okay, well, cool, cool man so <laughs> come in just you know come in
0: that's right not uh, when it's my turn yeah
1: yeah yeah okay so um,
0: that's one track
1: so the other track would be total Kansas City swing wow uh, I, I really think that that's that's that promise like that that just gets me into a place I mean I I, I mean that's the idea of that's that steady pulsing swinging forward motion um you know that's got all sorts of that, that 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 carries on into the into the uh obviously in the present milieu but if i if i'm thinking like iconic kind of things that that get me into that zone and uh it's that classic swing uh, a, a classic medium swing yeah, yeah, yeah um I can play that all day in church and I and I feel I mean play it all all night in the club in a in a bar or a pub or whatever but um play it all day in church and I and it lands it, I mean it lands for me spiritually it communicates with audience uh, congregation mm-hmm. um and it and it it gives something I mean it gives energy it's
0: uh, um well to me it's like that that kind of music is one where um, You find the pocket and you just live there. Like there's no expectation that something else is supposed, it's a be there now kind of music, right? Absolutely. Sit in the groove, sit in the pocket and just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And it might increase in intensity and then reduce in intensity, but it's still the pocket and you still return to it all as much as you can. I love that
1: idea. I I had a long, uh, one of my mentors died a uh, a couple of years ago. Now, uh, very famous Canadian pianist named Brian Brown. Um, and Brian and I worked together two, three times a month for 15 years. Um, and we, we, uh, Brian was from that. He, he, I don't think he would never call himself part of any school. He was a, a wonderful contrarian, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, loved playing in church. It was, I, I, uh, I mean, we played gigs together and over the years he we played more and more uh, church based shows. And one of the things we, we, he just wanted to swing. Yeah. He, he just wanted, and it was so elegant and it was so perfect. Uh, it was, it was so divine, but it was just, just lay down that swing and, and uh, he, you know, he, he was a, uh, a, uh, had a lifetime of stories from the Toronto scene and growing up in Montreal and playing in New York. And uh, um, just one of, one of his lines was if uh, it's jazz, if it's hard, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Uh, And just somehow.
0: One of the other Mike Stern on guitar with Richard Bona on vocals to me you know, if only songs like that are are so uh, spiritually grounded for me, I I tend to love world kinds of music. I, I don't know if it's because I'm from North Africa, you know, I'm from 500 years in Morocco, and then before that, and Southern Europe and all of that. So I I, I resonate with Arabic sound and uh, Middle Eastern sound in general. But I do like when, you know, I remember once that we were, I was with one of my closest friends and we were doing some work for the CBC, uh, a couple of weeks of radio over in, in London. And we went to Ronnie Scott's to, to listen to some jazz and Pharaoh Saunders was playing. Oh. And I thought, this is a true test of whether or not you can listen to someone without trying to make them mean something to you. Just mm. be there and let it take you. And one of the lessons I I learned that I occasionally, if I do some jazz radio, I talk to people about when they go, I don't really like that stuff. I say, pick an instrument in this piece of music and just sit with that instrument through the piece of music. Because then you're not sitting there going, I have expectations, right? Verse, verse, chorus, verse, I have expectations. And instead you can let go. And with Saunders, It was a real meditative practice to just say, I don't need this to make a certain sense for me. I just Mm -hmm. need to be in it. And by the end of it, my friend and I were both almost in tears because it had been so intense and it was so real, right? And when I think of the religious experience for people, I don't see that with a lot of people anymore. I don't see that there is something that truly moves them. I, I see people sitting back in their seats, not forward in their seats, and I, and I and I uh, I, I kind of wonder. Do the leaders of, of faith organizations it, there's a courage that's needed to say, we're going to go deeper,
1: yep,
0: right? Instead of, I'm going to give you what you you know what you came for. I'm going to play you the hits, and then you can go home. Um, do you think there's enough? courage out there, or, or do you think the adversity that everyone's facing in their congregations will give them the courage to
1: start leaning into this a little more? Uh, one of the challenges is, is how you, what's the practice? Uh, like, uh, what's the practice that we can gather around? Um, and I know for, for, for us to figure out what we're doing, when Pharaoh's playing those sounds, you you're you're sort of you're practicing music but you also breath breath and energy and rhythm all sorts of things are happening and we've defaulted to word to words and I think that's that's a huge challenge for for the product I mean for for us for the United Church of Canada right now is is to get out of uh, to get uh, out of our words and I, I think we're probably not alone um that idea of finding a practice because people are uh, I mean, when, when, not that jazz is going to save the world, although maybe <laughs> will. <right>. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the emotional response, like I don't think Michael Sigway is going to gonna save the world, but yeah, I think yeah, jazz might save the world, right? That, well, that's, that, that's the thing. Uh, but when when, you, when people respond, uh, you know, some to some of these jazz-based liturgical events, and, and they, they have a way of being in a sacred space, their sacred space even. Um, you know we've, we've we, I've done some tour we did uh, some few tours over the years um, churches in Alberta Nova Scotia New Brunswick Ontario Quebec um, and we go into people's this is people's churches but we'd be playing the. we'd be playing Kansas we'd be playing swing and we just let the song go or, or we'd be playing something more um, you know uh, not not India, Pharaoh Sander ish yeah, yeah but yeah. we but people would have a way uh, have something to respond to that wasn't verbal and i I feel like the the best sermon the best spoken word sermons out there uh, even if i could come up with that sermon i i it doesn't have the power it it, it doesn't speak to the moment i don't think um so i i think we we have that we have these buildings we have the skills we have the energy Uh, when i do the music and meditation online we 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 get emotional responses. They're not saying, Hey, nice, nice tune or nice service. They're going, I, I, you know, I'm heartbroken and I needed that. Um, right. uh, and in church too, for sure. I mean, but part of what ch- church or shul, I think a part of it is the community building. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I can, I can have a, I can have a B minus sermon, but somebody's done something a plus that day and there's coffee afterwards. Right. Uh, and
0: we, we've all seen each other and, you know. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a, I, I've told the story often of a, a guy who was actually the president of, of one of the synagogues. And he said to me, look, I don't believe in this prayer. Prayer doesn't speak to me at all. I said, but you have to come every week. You're the president. Like, What are you doing here? And he said, I'm not being glib. I, I come here for kiddish. I come here for the food after not for the food, but for the fact that we're all standing together talking and I'm watching kids grow up and people get old and people come back and I'm in a community of people and we're sharing, we're breaking bread. What more could I want? Right. And that was his, that's his prayer right there. Right. Like everyone's life is a prayer of some kind or another.
1: And some, and there's very few, there's very few organizations left that where you're 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 somewhat randomly selected to be in the room. Like I, I'm, my kids when 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 my daughter went off to university, she said I I I realized partway through she, she went from small town Ontario to McGill, Montreal. She said I, I suddenly realized I wasn't around any old people and I missed it. And mm-hmm. uh, just so I think but yeah, well, I like just
0: John Terpstra is a poet here in Hamilton, and he goes to church regularly. And I said, what is it about it that, that, that you love? And she, he said. That it's not my choice who's in this who are in those pews. That I that there are people that I probably won't like and people that I really like, but I have to come together with them. And that to me is a worthy social challenge, particularly in an age where we self-select so often. I mean, our social media channels are totally self-selected, and then they become the echo chambers of our values and ethics. So we stop listening to other people um, being uh, someone who's older. Now you realize that an elder is someone who's not valued in many ways. Uh, we don't call people elders. We call them seniors and we give them discounts at shoppers, drug mart, right? Mm-hmm. They're a commodity, but they're yep. a fading commodity because they're not going to buy four more cars from you. They're going to buy one. So, you know, anyway, look over your shoulder at your kid. Maybe he'll buy one of my cars. Right. So, it's hard to sort of break that nut. Your friend Brian, you played with him for fifteen years. when he died as a clergy, when I would ask where did he go?
1: Uh, I, I I think he he went into the great unknown uh, i'm I'm uh, I, I, when you spoke about Christians and Jews dealing with palliative care, um, I, uh, I, 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 I long for, I, I cultivate, I suppose, more of that, that, that what you described as the Jewish kind of, uh, approach of the, of the unknowable God, um, and, uh, and I, I don't think I'm, i comfortable, uh, Having conversations where people talk about a, a more concrete afterlife—it doesn't ring true for for me and my loved ones. It doesn't speak to my 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 lived experience. Uh, I I I am thrilled to think I like I'm I'm that doesn't bring me any any more sorrow. Uh, I feel good about that. I feel good that there's a there's a, a great unknown out there, and uh, and if it's uh, earth to earth and ashes to ashes and dust to dust, then that's it. Um, that that our stories continue uh, in our little fragile uh, ecosystem as long as human beings are telling stories. That uh, that there's enough awe and wonder woven into this life, and and woven into. Um, the revelations from religious traditions. I, you know, I, I, I can, some Christians wouldn't agree with me. Some, lots of people wouldn't agree with me, but I certainly think I'm the, the, the Jew that we follow uh, didn't speak much about the next world. And when he did, it was deeply metaphorical. Uh, and usually it was about um, a, a possible kingdom of uh, a, a temporal uh, you know uh, uh, temporal possibilities uh, in this in this world of, of God's uh, an inbreaking of, of, of spirit that that was happening in first century Palestine and is happening now. so yeah.
0: so is there a creator or is it, it doesn't matter. I intuit that there must be something behind this. or Because for some people, there is a creator, and for other people, there isn't one. I fall on the side of, I can't help but think there has to be one, just by walking through a forest and just seeing the miracle of this interconnectivity and thinking something's going on here. I, I, I have to bend my knee to it. I don't know what it is, but,
1: yep. right? I, I would agree. I, I, I found um, the world of um, panentheism to be very appealing and has yep. helped me uh, come to grips with a, a language that is identifying creative a creative force um, and, and some guiding energy but also resisting Santa Claus big time, right. uh, and but but affirming that that the, the wonder uh, that we see, or or the energy, or the or the expressions of of unity that we see in our world, uh, the the gestalts, the the sort of like the the sense of wholeness that I perceive, the meaning I I I see in the world is real. I, I don't think it's you know, uh, simply neurological uh, yeah, uh, chemi- yeah. chemistry, I, 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 and I and I think, mm. um, yeah. So so I I mean I certainly go to some thinkers around that. You know, uh, there's a Canadian philosopher that, to my mind, just the name Jan Zwicky, who I just adore her work. Um, in fact, I for this conversation, I grabbed this this book by Jan Zwicky called "The Experience of Meaning." has okay. and then that's just her latest I mean she's got a body of work she's a, a now retired I think from University of Victoria um, Jan Zwicky does a lot of stuff around gestalt um, and around meaning without I don't think she has a real religious um, sensibility I've corresponded a little bit with her and, and told her I'm using her as a, I'm, I'm quoting her in sermons and uh, at no point this does that that doesn't seem to be of great interest. She's she's a wonderful uh, person to correspond with around around philosophy and around that not notion that there are there are meanings external to us. And as soon as you as soon as one, as soon as I say there are meanings external to me and and to, and to you, um, to my mind that's that's God that's God or holy or or there, there's there's yeah,
0: that's the pocket. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, that's where, where a person can live comfortably. I think, uh, you know, what you said before about some people, you know, some, some adherence to religions who, who would give you a, a real specific architecture to the afterlife. That to me was, was always the point where I just go,
1: come on. Yeah. I mean,
0: That kind of certainty is not what I need. Uh, Yes, I I remember.
1: Sorry, uh, I remember about twenty years ago. Now I was uh, a a small town uh, church Bible study, uh, mostly ladies who were two generations older than me at that point, probably. And uh, one of the ladies asked me about um, the virgin birth, and I said, "I don't think so." And she, "Oh, thank God."
0: Yeah. Well, but you know, this is why for me metaphor matters, right? Because yeah, um, e- each piece of, of 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 the wisdom teachings of all the religions. You know, one of the things I love about the Baha'i faith is that you read. It's incumbent on you to to learn as much as you can uh, about other faiths and other non faiths. Uh, and I, I think we would all benefit greatly. I've always wanted to do. Um, there's a thing here in Hamilton called Art Crawl. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. So I always thought, wouldn't it be great to have a spirit crawl where we all go to each other's different places of worship? Because I'm not going to walk into a church for fear that I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to get up when I should have sat down. I'm going to kneel when I should have been sitting. Uh, um, I won't know the, what song they're doing. I don't know wh- what's going on here. So I'll be just like, you're not from around these parts, are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get me out of here. i got to run. So, if we could find a way to, to you know, as, as I said at the beginning, Reb Zalman says, How do you get it on with God? I mean, that, yeah. that's the question. And, and if you get it on by Jazz Vespers, that's great. And if you get it on by Bible study group, okay, that's good too. But I do think that a rock concert, Often has as much spiritual energy going on in it as any really good church service right
1: yep yeah. i i i i I often say the, uh Peter Gabriel, the sledgehammer tour remains yeah. to this day as one of the best church experiences i ever <laughs> I think he had you on that like he yeah, was it did. A, yeah uh, that so yeah absolutely um it, it's it, I mean i I often i mean I've played bars uh, and uh, around the Ottawa Valley in Ottawa uh, for tw- 20, 20 years now at least and um, and i've and i have done it just because I love to play, but I know being a clergy person and i i I don't wear that on my sleeve at all, but we get to I get to know the bartenders i I end up doing somebody's funeral or I end up baptizing their kids and and or we end up just sitting up late at night. Uh, um, you know, having a drink and talking about this stuff. And I, that's such a good feeling. It's such a good feeling to be in the zone where the conversation is authentic. People are looking for a convert. I, I, I've, I've been shocked in the course of my career at how the appetite for a conversation about, about God and the holy is so out there. I, 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 I used to come up with, like, a, I introduced myself as a, par, a party, as, you know, a group facilitator or something uh, <laughs> uh, way back when. And at some point I realized that when I said minister or pastor or something, I, people weren't as horrified. or They, they actually did another thing. They, as soon as I'd be in the corner talking about them recovering from their childhood faith. Um, And having a really intense conversation, but it's surprising. And and I find in being the the minister who happens to also be playing every Friday night at the pub um, has always led to better conversations about the holy as opposed to, you know, the sort of silly superficial stuff that kind of can come with the turf.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. You know, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's kid, Jay Baker, Yeah, very interesting guy. I did a, mm-hmm. um, a series uh, for Vision TV a few years back called um, God Bless America, but Religion and Politics in the States. So mm-hmm. I interviewed him in Brooklyn, where he had a church in a bar, uh, Jay Baker all tattooed, LGBTQ friendly, the whole thing, but a church and a bar at four o'clock on a Sunday because the people who came had been out partying till four o'clock in the morning on the Saturday. So they, you know, by the time they could crawl out of bed and come, they came and they were all young people. Uh, But, you know, he just said, look, I'm going to meet them where they are. Yeah, I'm not going to say, look, if you don't show up at 10 o'clock on Sunday, you you missed it. Missed what? (laughs) (laughs) If there's no such thing as an appointment, then what are you missing? But on the other hand, I do understand the value of, I I do some workshops occasionally on how to create a spiritual toolkit for yourself. And I say, look, spirit is about relationship, right? To yourself, to others, and to the universe, Mm. and to the creation. Uh, but religion is an attempt at a fitness program. You know, you got to work out and you got to do it on a regular basis. And if you don't, you don't deepen the experience. You just sort of play at the fringes and say, I had a really nice walk in the woods. I feel spiritual, which is fine for the moment, but it's kind of like hallucinogenics. You know, when I was young and I used to take some of them, I was like, wow, I totally get the unity of everything. I am in on the cosmic joke. I am here. And then by the next morning, I feel like crap. <laughs> it's, it's all gone away. So you got to have some sustaining method. Um, just like if you pick up a saxophone once every 18 months, you're only going to stay at a certain level. But if, you're, if you pick it up and play it and pick it up and play it, you deepen your experience. It's the same thing, I think, with, with how to get those spiritual muscles to actually move in a person.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think having, um, I think for all of us, and especially as as I age, uh, thinking about how I can be, how can I, how I can foster those practices, that toolkit sounds. I'll I'll, I'll take one, please. Um, yeah. But all, uh, the uh, but also, I know um, one of my teachers, my saxophone teachers. Um, Took me back a few years ago, just right down to brass tacks. He's he's also a very much a practicing Tibetan Buddhist, uh, and he's. And he's uh, this, was, this was I happened to be in. Me- I went and I spent three months in Mexico City studying with him. Um, so I was studying Saxo in Mexico City with a Buddhist, and he basically, we never left. C the scale of C, for three wow. months. Wow, it was just body breath three notes uh, memorize this don't just do that and and i'll see you next week Uh, and (laughs) i uh, yeah i don't think yeah it was was absolutely transformative for my spirituality right Um, and it also just grounded my tone on my saxophone in a way that i i i was uh, you know as opposed to sort of hovering here and there uh, on, on musically uh, it was like no, we're we're here, we're here right now, we're we're right here. So
0: when he first started doing that, were you thinking, "What? Come on,
1: let's absolutely, on. yeah, yeah." That like, well, like we're going to be here for three months, we're going to do stuff. He said, "Well, we might get to like, we might get to be flat." <laughs>
0: that should be the name of your book. We might get to be flat. <laughs> yeah, and we never did. I,
1: I, I, it was he had a certain thing, and I mean, I spent three months with him. It took me two years to to do the twelve scales. The, the twelve. Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah, it was. By, I, I he'd been he been doing that same process himself for for decades. Uh, oh, apart right. from also being a monster player in the Mexican jazz scene.
0: Yeah. Listen, I gotta go. Like I'm loving talking to you, but. Yeah. I, if I want this thing on Facebook, I have to apparently stop before it gets to over an hour. Or so I'm trying to convince myself uh folks i'm talking to the reverend peter woods united church of canada um, Mackay is that the name of your church yes it is uh in ottawa and uh, saxophone player uh, clergy member um soulful kansas city swing kind of guy who occasionally moves over to the nordic types who are a little more austere uh me i'm more of a brian eno guy <laughs> i'll just sit in the tones and move through uh it's been a total pleasure speaking with you i really do appreciate you doing this
1: with me thank you very much ralph it's been a pleasure for me
0: uh folks if you're interested in supporting my podcast go to uh, pa- patreon.com ntkr uh and uh make a donation if you'd like uh listen subscribe please subscribe it it, it seems to help and uh tell other folks about it too um I love doing Not That Kind of Rabbi, and I love being able to meet people like uh, the Reverend Peter Wood. So uh, everybody, you take care of yourselves, and we'll talk to you soon right here on this particular podcast.